Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the next episode of Middle Grade Mayhem. I'm Mark Macieski. I'm the author of I Am Farticus and I Am Farticus Electric Boogaloo, available at finer bookselling establishments everywhere. And I'm really, really excited to talk to my guest today. Uh, her name is Sally Plaw. She's got two books out right now. Uh, the first one came out last year. It was um, actually the recipient of the Dolly Gray Award, a uh, book called The Someday Birds, which if you haven't checked it out, you need to check it out. And her newest book uh, out right now as well is called Stanley Will Probably Be Fine. And um, I actually just finished reading it. Um, and I want to let everybody know this book is not only getting great reviews, it's going to get a great review from me. Uh, it's also won the New York Times, or the, I'm sorry, the New York Public Library Best Book of 2018 is on the, that list, as well as the Kirkus uh, 2018 Best Books list. So those are a couple of, uh, of pretty good names to have in your corner. So um, I want to introduce everybody to Sally Pla. Sally, how are you? Hi, I'm so glad to be with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you I'm glad you came on and uh, we've never met in person um, but I just uh, had read your first book and thought I need to talk to her I feel like she's got some some things that need that, that other people need to hear and <clears throat> so here we are um, we met I guess online through the class of 2017 yep that was a pretty good uh, anybody who's who's up and coming who's maybe getting, you know, going to have their debut coming up. Um, the group, a group will form online with other people debuting the same year as you. <clears throat> it's a great way to start an online family and a lot of really good support. Yeah, you, I, yeah, it really was super helpful. I'm not, I know they had the electric 18s. Now I'm not sure what the name is for the 19s. They always call them some kind of funny, catchy name for whatever um, debut year you are. But I know that the one for the for uh, 2020 is, <clears throat> excuse me, is the Roaring Twenties. Oh, that's perfect. That's any, great. I know, isn't that great? So, talk to us a little bit about um, about Stanley. Stanley will probably be fine. Yeah, Stanley. Um, he is my second middle grade novel. Like he said, the Someday Birds was the first. Um, Stanley is about a twelve-year-old uh, kid, uh, Stanley Fortinbras, who lives in San Diego, California, and is a highly anxious kid. He is has a lot of fears. He's just started in this huge, mammoth-sized middle school with thousands of students, and it's totally freaking him out. And his best friend is ditching him um, to go hang out with the cooler kids. And uh, Stanley has sensory issues. Actually, every um, book I I write, everything that I write, kind of features a a protagonist whose brain operates slightly differently than the norm. It's kind of my thing because that's my family, that's me, that's what we know. So Stanley falls in that category too. He's very, he gets sensory overload super easily. He has super, like sensory processing issues. So anyhow, in this big new middle school, he has a, a like a, he has a sensory overload at the scary 
security and safety drills that they have at this school all the time. It ends up uh, inventing an imaginary superhero to help him like process his fears and get through it kind of while they stick him off in this like, you know, quiet room so he can recover. Um, and um, Stanley decides that to try to combat his fears too, he, he's going to, and to try to win back his best friend, he's going to enter um, the a, a big downtown treasure hunt for uh, it's like a comics trivia treasure hunt because the one thing Stanley loves and knows more than anything in the world is comics trivia. So he figures, I'm going to enter this trivia quest. I'm going to win tickets to the Comic-Con and I'm going to win back my best friend and prove that I'm cool and I can handle middle school. And like, that's what he kind of puts to himself. And that's sort of what drives the book. So Yeah. And it's really fun because <clears throat> it's, you know, it, it has the literary elements it you deal spectacularly, I think, with um, with Stanley's um, you know his his uh, difficulties with you know processing sensory inputs and all that, which is what I found the most interesting about it. Um, but then also there's the element of the quest, which is fun, and of course it all ties into him figuring out how to deal with this um, this issue that kind of pervades his whole life. And it's funny you're talking about this entering this middle school with thousands of kids that I mean I, I haven't been in middle school for I don't know 30 years and that's still you saying that stresses me out oh my god middle school is the most stressful thing in the world I still have nightmares about the hallways in my junior high it's I, horrible I'm yeah right there with you and and I, I tell you what the first thing I noticed <clears throat> excuse me before I even read the book was I love your cover art and, and oh. the internal the interior illustrations are great too but um, I feel like there, first of all, there's something <clears throat> kind of, I don't know, there's something familiar about it, about the cover. Uh, look it up if you haven't looked it up yet. It, it's, it's incredibly busy and ha it has kind of a busy manic quality to it, which I think perfectly, to me anyway, um, exemplifies how Stanley must see these environments when he's stuck in them. Yeah. Well, if you're at all a fan of Adventure Time on Cartoon Network, um, Steve Wolfhart did the cover and the interior art for Stanley, and he was a storyboard artist there. Um, so it sort of has a little familiar feel, too, because I think there's a little bit of sort of um, Adventure Time style to the characters' faces on my cover and stuff. I love it. I think it's super cool. And actually, we're working on a, a trailer, like an animated trailer right now, and um, for Stanley, and doing it with this studio, this amazing place, this animation studio, post-production studio in Sherman Oaks called Exceptional Minds. It's actually a school to train um, autistic students in post-production and digital arts and animation work, um, so that they can go out and get a job. And they play students, you know, at you know all all over Cartoon Network and um, you know HBO. I think you can play Disney. They've done work with Disney. Um, so it's this really cool place, and I'm so so proud that they're working on the on a trailer for Stanley as well. Um, and that is really sorry. that is such a cool uh, tie-in because I think that there's so much of I think that for for a writer, we're obviously not doing this for a gigantic paycheck. We we do it because we want to have an impact in one way or another. And when your book can have a multi-dimensional impact like that, it's like what more could you possibly want? Yeah, it's so fun. It's just, I'm so, I feel really lucky and happy that to work with the Exceptional Minds kids. So that's been awesome. Yeah.
I want to go back a little bit later and talk about book trailers because I've, I've watched your book trailer for The Sunday Birds and it was really, really well done. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but I do want to talk about that a little bit more later because that's something that for me personally is never even really, it's just not something that's ever been on my radar, but, but you kind of inspired me with that a little bit. <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about your own um, personal experience with, um, with autism and that kind of thing that, that kind of gives you the, you know, the, the voice and the authority to write on this and what, what you're trying to get across? Yeah, I would love to. Um, sure. Yeah. It, um, I, I have an autism uh, spectrum diagnosis myself, so I'm autistic. I didn't really know it until I was an adult and it's kind of a weird story. Um, I had a really, really rough time as a kid. Um, when I was like in second grade, I was um, selectively mute. I don't think I said a word the whole year. I was a really smart kid, but I didn't speak. I just didn't know how to interact in social situations and nobody quite knew what to do with me. Um, my parents didn't quite know. They knew something was wrong, but they couldn't figure it out. So basically they just yelled at me to stop being so sensitive. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, you know, and that's really probably the best way to handle that. Yeah, it was really, <laughs> I love my parents. Yelling, yelling I never doubted it. they loved me, but it was tough, you know. But anyway, so, you know, fast forward a million years. I, basically, I think I spent my whole childhood and young adulthood learning how to navigate the world, how to put on masks and to interact with people in the correct way, um, learning, carefully studying, observing, you know, and I think all this observing really helped me with writing, which was basically my main way of communicating because I've never been really great face-to-face um, -face or in social groups, although now I'm in my 50s and I pretty much have a handle on things, but boy, it took me a long time. So anyway, um, you know, I, I, got I got a job as a business journalist, I, you know, worked, you know, had three sons, got married and had three sons, and one of the, which is autistic, and really, if you want to be honest, like my whole family is a little bit there. Um, it's a big spectrum, and we're all a little bit on it. Um, and But that was always natural and normal to me, and he was too, you know, and we had a really accepting kind of life with our kids, and I just loved raising my boys. It was super fun, and their influence is in the, these stories a lot. So anyway, they well, go, go to college. I start writing The Someday Birds, my lifetime goal, always to try to write a book. So I start writing The Someday Birds, and I think I'm writing it for my sons, and I'm writing this heart gift, you know, to my kids, and I'm getting really triggered. And I keep thinking about my childhood, and I realize that the voice coming out in this book is me. It's me as a, as a kid. And it, uh, it put me in therapy, actually, to try to figure out what was coming up. And uh, eventually the therapist led me, suggested that I, I go get testing, and I did, and ended up with an autism diagnosis as a result of writing The Someday Birds. Wow. So kind of my weird, weird story there. And then, I, that, this was like, when I finished the book, I guess it was around 2016, 15, 16, and I felt kind of ashamed. I didn't know what to do with that diagnosis or whether I should talk about it at all or not. And I didn't, I just kind of sat on it for a while and pretended, you know, that it didn't exist. But 
I am getting so much braver and I feel like I have to talk about this. And there are so many kids out there. Now when I go to schools and I talk about it and I talk about how when I was a kid and I was different and how it's okay to have a slightly different brain or to see things differently or to be a little extra sensitive, that's all right. We can all like adapt a little and make room for each other's, you know, quirks and eccentricities a little because we all have things to offer and contribute in this life and isn't it better that we just get it all out in the open well and did, did a certain part of you being an adult and having you know uh half a lifetime of experience behind you when you got the diagnosis did the things kind of click into place or was it more of a i mean did, did you look back and go oh my goodness so many things make sense to me now Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. It took me a while to get there. I think when I first got the diagnosis, I was a little freaked out, but now it's been a few years. I am, my favorite pastime is to look back and say, holy cow, yes, that's why that was that way. You know, that's how I, why I felt that way. Or, you know, connecting with other people online that also got, you know, autism diagnosis, diagnoses as adults and realizing there's so many of the same things, you know? What? You're afraid of public transportation, too? It's not just me, you know? It's just like... I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily an autism thing. <laughs> I, I don't know. But yeah. it's interesting to me because I'm reading this and um, I've, never, I've never been tested or diagnosed. I, but as, as we're coming to learn, all of us are on the spectrum somewhere. Oh, yeah. It's a big spectrum. And Definitely. I think it, it puts a really interesting new filter for me on, um, on just the, the idea of maybe being an introvert. And that, yeah. you know what I mean? It, because yes. I'm a person who, what you said a minute ago really resonated with me, where you said you studied and observed and you knew how to behave in certain situations. You knew it was expected of you, um, but that wasn't your natural uh, instinct. You were, you know, essentially, you know, putting on, I don't know if you, you didn't say putting on a show, but you know what I mean? And, I, uh, yeah. and I, I'm a person who I can put myself out there. Obviously I'm doing a podcast. I, I'm, I don't mind talking to people, um, that I don't know, but my natural state is, um, is definitely introversion. I would much prefer to be talking one-on-one -on -one to you than to a group of people. Um, you know, it, it just, it, but because of, I, I found Stanley very relatable in that. I think you, did you intentionally aim for, um, because you, you never mention autism in the book. Nope. Uh, so did you, did it take some refining or did you know exactly what you wanted his voice to be? Because I felt like he was, it was like in an area that so many people probably on both sides of whatever level or whatever area on the spectrum he is would be relatable to everybody. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of degree, isn't it? I mean, because the, you know, autistic behavior is human behavior. We all have these fears and these foibles and these sensitivities. Um, it's just a difference of how intense are they? Are they so intense that they're really inhibiting your happiness and how you can live your life? Or are you able to sort of overcome them? And, you know, is it more of a minor thing or is it a major thing? Oftentimes, I think it's just this matter of degree. Um, 
And I think that holds true with a lot of special needs. At least I had a special needs teacher frame it to me that way, you know, about my son, you know, saying, oh, you know, this and that. And she was like, it's, but it's a matter of degree, you know, is it keeping him from being happy? So yes, Stanley has a lot of things that we all can relate to because autistic behavior is human behavior, but he just has it to this nth degree. And yeah, you know, I, I struggle with thinking, you know, should I, in fact, I had a critic once say she should have labeled Charlie of the Sunday Birds as autistic on the first page, you know, and then we would know. But I very much intentionally did not want to do that because once you label somebody, they're a little bit othered. And I wanted really to invite readers in and just experience these characters for who they are. With yeah, no, I no disagree with that critic in a major way. And, um, because, you know, you just made me think of something is, is there ever a point because we're all as on this spectrum at some point, is there ever a point where the label is actually beneficial? I mean, why do we need them at all? If, if it's just, you know, we all have our own individual state of being, what, what, what good are the labels or are they in your mind? Yeah, you know, I think for kids that are struggling in school that need the labels in order to get services, they are helpful. I yeah. mean, I think that's the main thing. You know, you, you can't be, you won't qualify for services unless you have that stupid diagnostic code. So in that case, yes, it helps people to understand a little bit where you are. And, you know, I think hopefully as time changes, there will be some um, changes in how autism is viewed, how it isn't always, again, it's huge, it's a big spectrum. You've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, because everybody's different. Um, so there are some, you know, wildly interestingly brained people with incredible talents, and then there are people that really have severe disabilities, and they're all lumped under this one category, which is, you know, kind of strange, but that's how the psychiatric diagnostic manuals have it set up right now. Um, but uh, and you mentioned some statistics to me mm -hmm. uh, before about what I don't remember. I think I believe the number was like one in fifty-nine. Yeah, I think right now the rates of diagnosing kids um, is one in fifty-nine, and there's some states where it's higher. I think in New Jersey it's like one in forty something right now. And it's increasing. I mean, it, it's it's the arc is is increasing over time, correct? Um, it is, I think that's partly because, or maybe in large part, because there's so much more awareness. So kids that would just slip under the radar before are actually being brought in for testing and actually getting a diagnosis. You know, I, I think that's a large part of it. Um, I wonder too, you know, there's this intense world theory of autism where our world is getting just so much more intense in a sensory way and is that doing something to us and making some of us just in, unable those of us that before when the world was a gentle gentler place where you could be out in nature or you know if you couldn't stand living in a city you could go you know be a farmhand or you could live a quiet life now people that's as easy you know <laughs> you can't see that i'm nodding my head yeah vigorously with everything you're saying because I, I think about this all the time the amount of just ambient noise electronic and i don't mean actual noise i mean constant stimuli and input that our kids are subjected to and i try and imagine what i would be like if i grew up in that kind of environment it's it i don't know it's a it's a it's unbelievable to me um, it is. Yeah. and it's why i think books like yours are incredibly important um and i guess the one thing that struck me is 
you know, nobody, especially at younger reading, you know, middle grade, say, people don't want to be preached to. They want to experience something generally. Um, and, you know, the best lessons are the ones that the, the reader kind of gleans for themselves. Um, you not using the labels in your book, I think is actually a brilliant choice because it, it keeps it from being a, I don't know what you might call like an issue book, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, which can tend to feel like the, the author is preaching to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that makes it accessible to both all groups of people who need a book like this, the people who need to understand that, you know, this is a mirror for them to look into and say, that's me. There are kids like me. Here's a book about a kid like me, as well as people on the other side who can go, who can read this and say, wow, this really helps me understand um, maybe somebody in my life that I've, you know, they've never told me they, they have maybe a diagnosis or don't even have a diagnosis, but, you know, maybe I need to be a little more sensitive to them. Anyway, I think, I, I guess my point is, I feel like you really um, hit a very nice sweet spot here. Oh, thank you. I, I really hope so. Because really, any kid, um, you know, with those rates being what they are, in every two classrooms, there's at least going to be one kid, you know, statistically speaking, who's on the spectrum, if not more. Or if we're talking neurodiversity as a whole, which includes not only autism, but ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, Tourette's, you know, all kinds of different things that, you know, OCD, you know, that that kids are dealing with these days, you know, a lot of kids. And then anxiety. I read some statistic on anxiety where it's something like one in nine kids is going to be treated for anxiety at some point during their childhood and it's pretty high so definitely timely stuff yeah it doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all i mean considering the uh, and those are and like those are just the kids who get who are getting treated yeah you think about about the constant input that these kids are under it's it's it makes yeah. complete sense it was so funny. I was at the airport the other day in Newark, and you know, I decided for the first time to sit down at one of those little tables that has one of the iPads in front of them, just because I was hungry, and I just figured, okay, I'm not going to be scared of this. I'm going to sit. So I sat, and I looked at the iPad screen as I was eating. It was in your face. You couldn't resist, like, uh, ignore it. And then I looked around the airport, and I started counting. There were 11 other screens with flashing lights and sounds and images barraging me from all sides, all around. I was like, how can you, this is, I don't know. It's this it's world. Like, is, yeah. It's like being in a little information casino. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everything is psychologically, you know, is designed with the goal of hooking your attention. Yeah. And the net effect is that you have no attention to hook anymore because your brain starts dribbling out your ears. It's like living in Blade Runner. <laughs> I was going to say, you, do you remember Max Headroom? Yes. That, where they had the blipverts, you know, that would be like, a, you know, like a three second commercial. We, we have that now. <laughs> Are you, did you ever read Feed? Yes. I love yeah. MC Anderson's work. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're basically there. I mean, you know, I heard Elon Musk talking about this. He goes, he goes, listen, we're, we're already cyborgs. We already rely on our phones. They're already a part of us. The only problem, the only thing that's keeping us from becoming actual cyborgs is the interface. Right now we have to type and then we have to read. Mm -hmm. When we can hook our brain into it, the transition's complete. 
Yep. It's so interesting because this next book that I'm working on, and I just finished the revision like an hour before you called, um, is sci-fi and set in 2063. And it's about a 13-year-old girl. Um, and, uh, you know, she's one of the few that's not genetically enhanced in this day and age. And she has a wrist comb. So everyone has an implant. They have their implants. Like and Dick Tracy? Um, you just sort of tap it and this holographic avatar pops out. You can choose your cartoon holographic avatar if you're a kid. So it, yeah, it, I don't know. It just seems like that's sort of naturally where it's going to go. I wonder, I wonder. Is this book, um, when should we look for it? Is it, is it? Oh, I don't know. Maybe probably in about a year and a half to two. Okay. Because publishing is a slow, slow beast. Yes. Is there a title we should look for? Um, I don't know yet. Or just check your just check your website. Yeah, just keep checking my website. While we're, while we're, I'm thinking about it, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody your your website where they can find you online and Twitter? Yeah, yeah. it's at www.sallyjpla.com. At sallyjpla.com. Now that is a French name, if I'm not mistaken. It is. It I'm is. Kidding. We talked about this. Before. Yeah. <laughs> we have, the, we have yeah, the, the, most, the simplest name and the most complicated name here on the same, uh, on the same podcast. <laughs> so you mentioned book trailers earlier. And like I said, your, your one that you did for the Someday Birds was fantastic. It was really, really well done. Um, any advice for people thinking about that? Is there, a, is there a, a particular audience you're going after? Is there... Oh, yeah, I just wanted, I knew I wanted to speak to kids in schools, and I just wanted something fun that I could play, you know, that could live on YouTube, and that I could actually play, you know, during PowerPoints to kind of break it up and, you know, interest the kids. So that was my goal. And I was lucky enough to have a really good friend who's a filmmaker in Milwaukee named Kara Mulrooney. Hi, Kara, if you're listening. And she did the most incredible job with the book trailer. Uh, we just hired local actors. It's her dog in in the trailer. Um, Who RV is it? It's a, a friend's RV that we borrowed for the day. <laughs> did, did you know of this RV when you wrote the book, or did they just happen to have one that fit the Not book? Not at all. They just happened to have one. And, um, you know, in the Someday Birds in the book, there's a three-legged dog. So Kara used her dog, Jazzy, and just, like, made sure one leg got hidden at all times when we were when she was filming the trailer. And the kids were great, and it just worked out great. And I was so lucky, so lucky that... Um, well, it's got quite a few views, too. So, I mean, congratulations on that. It, it, it is. It's really good. And, and it's a great example um, is this something that, uh, if, is there, when I go ahead and post this, if there's any information you want to have, if there, you know, I don't know if your friend is, does this kind of work. Um, yeah, I'll, I will check with her and see if she's still doing that. She's also a film prof and she has a new baby, so I'm not sure, but yeah. Let's leave her alone for uh, <laughs> seven years. I think I really lucked out by getting her to help me. Um, but yeah, there's so many different ways to do a trailer and you don't have to go fancy. I just, I just love, I just think it's super fun. So I really wanted to do one. So. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Um, okay. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I, I usually like to get people to talk about other books. I think you, uh, you know, that they recommend, this is something we always get called on when we do school visits, Skype visits, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, do you have any in mind that you want to, you want to talk up while you've, while you got the microphone? 
Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about that because there are some books with autistic protagonists that I would give a shout out to for sure. And, and not all. I will do that with a, a caveat. The ones I'm going to mention, I absolutely love. And um, let's see, two of them are own voices books. Uh, the first is uh, State of Grace by Rachel Lucas. I think it's a YA book and Rachel is British. Um, it's just beautifully written from the point of view of a young teen girl. Um, and the second one absolutely blew me away. I just finished reading it a few days ago. It's called M is in the middle, the little letter, letter, the letter M. Um, and it was group written by a school for autistic girls in Surrey, England. It's by the Limpsfield Grange School and their um, creative writing teacher, Vicki Martin. And they wrote this book together about the experience of like a, a 13, 14 year old autistic girl. It's incredible. It really had me crying. I was like, so relating to it. Um, a couple more, Kids Like Us by Hilary Rail. Um, it's a YA book again about a boy that um, is autistic and goes to France and has an experience relating to other kids. Um, and then the most wonderful heartwarming series for younger kids by Ilana K. Arnold, A Boy Called Bat and, and the Bat Books. Okay. I, they're amazing. So. Well, fantastic. Yeah. And before we go, we both have uh, in our second book, yours, Stanley, and mine, uh, Electric Boogaloo, we have a Comic Con influence. <laughs> yes, yes. Too much podcast. away. A lot happens towards the end of your book. Um, what uh, do you go to Comic Con? Oh well, I live in San Diego, so the Comic Con is huge here. Yeah, um, I know. it's unbelievable. It is just incredible. And actually, I never have gotten in. The true confession: never gotten into Comic Con. Been outside checking out the action, but never. Got, the one year that I got badges to go to Comic Con, I broke my leg the week before, and I was too frightened and anxious to go in my wheelchair. Even though my kids said they would dress me up like Professor X and it would all be fine, <laughs> but. I was too scared. And actually, that's what prompted the idea for Stanley. I thought, well, what if I wrote a story about a kid that was loved Comic-Con so much, but he was scared to go, and what would that be like? And that was the beginning of Stanley. Well, I guess that answers my next question is, what would you, what would you dress up as if you were going? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that. Yeah. <laughs> or Groot. No, I would dress up as Groot. That's perfect, because you don't, then you don't have to say a lot of stuff. You don't have to talk to people. Right. All you have to do is say, my name is Groot and like stumble around in your tree suit. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, Sally, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, I'm going to put this up. And if there's any, um, you sent me some resources um, to learn about uh, neurodivergence, neurodiversity. Very interesting. And I think, you know, if you're going to be ready for kids, it's something to definitely have on your radar at all times. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and post those on Facebook and on Twitter. Go ahead and make sure you look for us on Facebook at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm on Twitter at Magic Jetski, uh, and I'm also on Facebook at Magic Jetski, and I'll post Sally's information as well. Sally, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, Mark, thank you so much. It was really fun. Thanks. All right. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay. Take care. Okay. This is a copyrighted podcast owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.